Okay, there we go. Welcome everyone, this is How Success Things Lesson 2. Although, you know, although each class has lessons for its own, it's a four-week four, uh, course, and we're recording it now, so if you want to catch up in the past or future classes, you can always, after I upload everything, you can check it out in the podcast. Okay, so they say that the, this guy was walking on the beach, and he finds a... A guinea, a guinea, a genie, a bottle, and inside comes out a genie or guinea? Genie. 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 Thank you. Genie comes out and is like, okay, so give me, you know, you, you freed me, so that's, you get a wish. So it's like, um, okay, I will, this was on, this was on the, on the, on, this is in Florida. And he was like, look, I'm, uh, I cannot go on boats or planes and I always dreamed of going to Bahamas so I would like a bridge from Florida to Bahamas so I could so I could uh, you know fulfill that dream that I had so the so the genie is like well you know this infrastructure and, and, and technology and so many things it's so complicated although we have a wish but you don't have to exaggerate choose something else I was like okay another bridge but um, things for a minute and it's like you know what um, Sometimes I have a hard time with my wife understanding what she wants and, and, and really feeling, knowing what she's going through and, and, and understanding and her emotions and, and being able to connect and in general able to connect with people. So maybe you give me that ability and that you know, um, tool or, or talent to connect with other people. So the genie sings for a second and says, two or four lanes. Two or four lanes. Yeah. No one? Zach? Zach yeah. got it. Okay, good. The bridge. Because the bridge is easier. Uh, <laughs> the point of this class is along the same line. We're connecting bridges. We're going to connect bridge between what we learned last week and, um, and this class. Last week, what we did is we defined what is success. We have this image that society gives us as success, and we have what the Torah teaches of what success is about. As we, mentioned, as we learned last week, there is outer or external um, uh, wills, and there's internal will. And being able to identify really at the core what is the internal will, that ultimately would be successful. And just a brief example, we work in order to have money, we have money in order to provide for our family, so it comes out that the work is not really, the, the, your, your will is not really in the work, your will is in the money, but not really the money is providing for your family. So right away there we see that there's a, those levels of peeling off of what the real, at the core, what the will is. And being able to identify that will with us, that is the definition of success that we, we each one have. Now what we are going to do hopefully with this class is how do we get there? Because we learn you know, or we figured out, hopefully we figured out by now, each one after, you know, doing, after uh, thinking about it and spending time figuring it out, what is at the core that, that you want in your life? The question is, how do we get there? So hopefully with this class, we'll build that bridge on knowing what we want or identifying what success is and actually achieving it. Okay, so we'll start with lesson two. Zach, you wanna read? Page, page zero, page one. The path to success is usually fraught with challenges and obstacles. Do you believe you have what it takes to succeed? 
Perhaps success is not in your destiny. How should we address persistent doubts that certain goals might be beyond our capabilities or that success may not even be possible? Understanding why you are here and what you, are, what you were designed to achieve can help us gain confidence in our ability to achieve our goals. Yeah. Okay, so page um, 34, I think. Yeah, page 34. This is, was last week. Um, and defining success, correctly defining success. This is what I spoke last week. And we're going to continue now with exercise number one. Self-efficacy test. So let's take 30 seconds to go through it. And we'll revisit after the class. So whatever you wrote down, hopefully at the end of the class, we'll challenge that again. So page 36, at the core or the, in, in one line, the answer, it's going to be, or the road or the bridge, how do we connect the goal, the, the success and how do we get there is mindset. That's why what? Mindset. That's why it boils down to. Boils down to mindset. Nowadays, psychology really caught up with this idea that the Torah spoke about already thousands of years that you know the mindset or the mind having the correct mindset that already itself is the beginning of having the right mindset that it is not the beginning of the even even in an in a illness is the beginning of the core but the beginning of, of 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 overcoming a challenge in order to overcome the challenge you need to have the right mindset to begin with and that already itself is half cure or half challenge solve so we're going to see from Text number 1A from the story of Jacob. Jacob and Rachel. So Jacob, story goes in Genesis that he was escaping, was escaping his brother Esau after he stole the blessings from, from him. Right, yeah? Familiar with the story? So, so Isaac wanted to bless Esau and and and, and Jacob stole the blessings and he escaped from he escaped from um, from where he was and he went to the land of Haran where his uncle lived and he was also with the intent of getting married as well his father said you know you you shouldn't marry any of the local people you should go to the land of our uncle our cousin your uncle and over there, you should find uh, someone for you to marry. And that's eventually what happened. He went to Haran and he married, ended up getting married four times, or married two sisters, Rachel and Leah, and their, and their not servants, but their, uh, yeah, they were yeah, servant. servants, 
Yeah. Okay. And their servants as well, Bila and Zilpa. So Jacob ended up marrying, um, uh, he ended up having four wives and from which eventually the whole tribe of Israel came to be. But text 1a, we're going to see the beginning of that story or when he actually arrives to Haran before he even, before he even uh, meets his, his family. So Ben, uh, you want to read 36? Jacob said, the day is yet long. It is not yet time to gather the livestock, give the sheep to drink, and let them go back to pasture. Oh, before, before, yeah, before I continue. So it says as soon as he got there, he saw all the shepherds gathered by the water, and they were just waiting. It was just all them together. So he asked them, you know, it's still... Okay, so now you go. Now, Jacob said, what he said to the, to the shepherds. Do you read it again? Yeah, yeah. Read it again. Jacob said, the day is yet long. It is not yet time to gather the livestock. Give the sheep to drink and let them go back to pasture. The shepherds responded, we cannot do so until all the flocks assemble. Then all the shepherds together will roll the boulder off the walls of the well's opening, and we shall give water to the sheep. As Jacob was talking with the shepherds, Rachel arrived with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Upon seeing Rachel, the daughter of his uncle Laban, and the uh, sheep of his uncle Laban. Uh, Jacob approached the wall and rolled the boulder off its opening, and he gave water to the sheep of his uncle Laban. Yeah, so if you ever wondered who was the first one that rocked and rolled, that was Jacob. Um, what? what? Oh, the I said yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, this is a interesting story, as we're going to see in text 1b. But right away, we should ask the question. And question for discussion, and then finish it off. 37 at the top. Oh. Jacob saw the heavy boulder sitting on the well's opening. 30. Um, are we doing the question? Yeah, yeah the, qu the question for oh, discussion. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Analyze the narrative and see if you can come up with a theory as to why Jacob was able to roll the boulder off the well, while the many shepherds could not. So what was the difference between Jacob, one person, and all these shepherds? They were... He wanted to impress Rachel. That's, yeah, yeah. That's one thing. You know, they say that if you want, if you want to find your soulmate, you should go to the, where the water is. Wait, Actually, but, but the, the question is saying that why were all these other shepherds not able to roll the boulder? Why was he physically able to do that? Yes. Right. So, I, yeah, I have no idea. I'm going to guess based on the rest of our discussion that... Some of it was his mindset. So we're going to see from text 1b. Yeah, correct. That's, also, that's ultimately what it is. Also, he's not necessarily doing it for himself. He's like kind of doing it for someone else, which I think oftentimes that gives you like an extra. Like for, you know, people will be like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. But like when you get a child, you work harder at work because you have that like thing that's like, it's not just you. Mm -hmm. Are we, does this also imply that the other shepherds together couldn't move the boulder. So they were saying that they needed, all the shepherds need to, they were waiting for all the shepherds to arrive. Okay. And after all the shepherds arrived, they were able to move this stuff. Okay, so they didn't, in other words, they didn't even attempt it until. Okay. Ultimately, we're gonna see from, mm, yeah. um, from the Rebbe of the Imre Emes in text 1b, that he, analy he analyzes the story and that's ultimately what he ends up saying. And. Uh, Okay, uh, Ben Levy, one of the text one B. Jacob saw the heavy boulder sitting on the well's opening. 
Though he himself was exceptionally powerful, should he not have understood that the shepherds would not be able to roll the boulder off the wall? Why then did he urge them to do something that was not within their power to accomplish? Yeah, this is a typical question of, of the Talmud, saying like, if Jacob was, you know, very strong, so Jacob was aware of that. So he shouldn't have been asked a question. That's from one end. So, uh, so that clearly was not the case. He was not like super, way more powerful than them. Going to continue. We can presume that Jacob would not have spoken deceptively, God forbid. Thus, if he suggested to the shepherds that they give the sheep to drink, they could have done so had they only made an attempt to do so, but they were not interested in trying. Oh. And here is where, where, where Jacob already taught us a lesson in, in, in going out to, to the real world, quote-unquote. Jacob is, in his stage in life was he was leaving the house of his parents. He was leaving the comfort and all the security that he had living in his hometown. And he was heading to a strange land, no support system. He was cheated by his uncle many times. Um, actually, the wedding, he ended up marrying Leah because he was cheated in the wedding itself. So he was already going to a place um, where, where it was full of challenges. And Jacob knew he was aware as well that him going now was not only for his own benefit. He, they, they knew that they were the patriarchs of the Jewish nation. So everything they did, and more so, everything that the Torah relates that they did, it's because they give us a lesson for us today. We're in the same situation. We are done with the comfort of home. That might be, you know, that might be when you leave to college or when you finish college and you're starting working. So Jacob already right, right there, he gives us already the cue. You need to try. You see the, you see the stone, you see the stone that is super big and is really heavy. The, the solution or the way to, to, to overcome the challenge is to take action and to try in the first place. And that comes with the mindset. Jacob was able to see right away the solution. He was able to focus on the solution. The, 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 all the other shepherds were saying, that it's too big. It's too big of a stone. That's why we need to wait for everyone else. In other words, they didn't believe in themselves. And that is the message right away that we get. So text two, we're going to see that this mindset, having a, 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 not only a positive mindset that everything will be okay, but having the mindset of, of how you look at yourself that already itself is the beginning or the, or the, it, it, it's the halfway challenge is, it takes away half of the challenge. Um, okay, I'll read text two. A strong sense, sense of efficacy enhances human accomplishment and personal well-being in many ways. People with high assurance in their capabilities approach difficult tasks as challenges to be mastered rather than threats to be avoided. Such an efficacious outlook fosters in strict interest in deep engrossment in activities. They set themselves challenging goals and maintain strong commitments to them. They heighten the, and sustain their efforts in the face of failure. They quickly recover the sense of efficacy after failures or setbacks. They attribute failures to insufficient effort or deficient knowledge and skills which are acquirable. They approach threatening situation which with assurance that they can exercise control over them. 
Such an efficacious outlook produces personal accomplishment, reduces stress, and lowers vulnerability to depression. So right away, we see all the, all the benefits of having the correct mindset. As, as you look to yourself, in the past, the previous classes spoke about having a positive mindset of things that, that are going to happen. But over here, the, the, the main focus is not the mindset on the, on the future, it's rather the mindset of, of your own capabilities. In contrast, people who doubt their capabilities shy away from difficult tasks, which they view as personal threats. They have low aspirations and weak commitments to the goals they choose to, pers to pursue. When faced with difficult tasks, they dwell on their personal deficiencies, on the obstacles they will encounter, and all kinds of adverse outcomes rather than concentrate on how to perform successfully. They slacken their efforts and give it up quickly in the face of difficulties. They are slow to recover their sense of efficacy following failure or setbacks because they view insufficient performance as efficient aptitude and that those not requires much failure for them to lose faith in their capabilities. They fall easy victim to stress and depression. Yeah, all the other negative, um, all the other negative outcomes happens with people who don't have that they don't see themselves. They don't have the mindset regarding themselves. Further on, we're going to see why do we even, why should we have that mindset? Uh, here we're saying that, you know, that's the mindset that we see the advantages of having the proper mindset or mindset on, some, on, on yourself. We still didn't confirm why should we or if it's valid, if everyone should be having a positive mindset. So, you once I heard a quote that says that the difference between someone who struggles and someone who failed is, is giving up. Because until you give up, you're still struggling. You're not, you're not failing. Once you give up, that's failure. Okay, text number three. So Jacob, we saw on the way there, Jacob was already set the tone for, set the tone already for how we should look and set the message of how we should look at, um, at challenges. This, in text number three, we're gonna see, this is 20 years later. After Jacob successfully um, accomplished his dreams, he got married, he had kids. Actually says that Jacob was the only of the patriarchs who had a full, as, 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 the, 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 as the Talmud says, a full bed, meaning that all of his kids were, were saints. All of his kids were tzaddikim. Regarding Abraham and, and, and Isaac, so Abraham had a son named Ishmael, yeah. and then Isaac had a son named Esau, and then from Ishmael and from Esau, Eventually, a Jewish nation suffered a lot between Muslims and Christians. So, between those two nations. So, the, the patriarch that had full or, or all of his sons were part of a Jewish nation was Jacob. So, he was the one who had success. And, and this is also Kabbalah, goes deep into the reason why Jacob specifically. And the reason for that is because Jacob was the one who interacted with the world. Jacob didn't live, didn't had a life of being abstract or, or being uh, um, removed from society. Jacob had to go all the way 
to Haran, to a place full of challenges, and endured the most challenges of all, that's why at the end he had, um, all of his kids were able to be, were able to be tzaddikim. In other words, the, the challenging of engaging with the world and being real, not only real in the sense that acknowledges the world, the physical and spiritual world, both of them, it's not only one. So having that lifestyle is what guarantees success in the long term for, for everything, not only in a material way, but also in a spiritual way. Okay, text number three. Zach, you want to go? Jacob remained alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When the man saw that he could not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip became dislocated as they wrestled. This is the reason why today we don't eat the whole back of the cow. In kosher law, so the, the half, the, there is a nerve, I forgot the name, Gid Hanasha. Heard about it? The, my, my Torah portion was on the laws of Kashrut for my bar mitzvah. This sounds vaguely, vaguely familiar. Ah, okay. So the Gid Hanasha is, I think, cervical, cervical nerve, but I'm not sure. Um, basically, is that there's a nerve that runs the back part of the cow, and unless it's, it's, it's taken out properly, which requires a lot of handwork and it's a really difficult task, most commercial um, 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 slot, slot houses, they don't, they don't process it, just sell to the regular market. And they only um, process the, the top of the cow as the kosher meat. So there's a lot of cuts that although that although they the the the, the cow was properly being slaughtered and salted and everything, but nevertheless, like filet mignon, I think it's in that back part of the of the cow. So there's a lot of uh, meat cuts that we don't have simply because it's, it's hard to to take away that nerve. The reason for that starts it's the story. The angel having having um, dislocated or, or damaging that nerve for Jacob, that's what eventually set out the message also for all generations. And if that we don't eat that nerve um, either. And there's a whole question if, if the reason is because we don't need it because of Jacob or we don't need it because God said so in Mount Sinai. It's a whole other um, commentaries dive into it. What's the, what's the actual reason? But at the source, regardless of what what's the actual source, what's the the reason why we don't need the source of of this event starts over here. Now, oh, it keeps going. Yeah, keeps. Should I read the top? Yeah, forty one also. The man then said, "Let me go, for the morning star has risen." But Jacob said, "I will not let you go unless you have blessed me." What is your name? The man asked. Jacob came the response. No longer shall your name be Jacob, he said, but Yisrael, because you have struggled against an angel of God and against men, and you have prevailed. Jacob had that, effect, that belief in himself. He was able even to take the angel, the Esau's angel. So at the end of the story, we're reconnecting. So Esau, Jacob escaped Esau, 
after 20 years, Jacob was coming back. As Jacob was coming back to the land of Israel. So Esau found out about it. And he was ready to attack to Jacob. To the land of Israel. I thought he was in Israel yet. So he was in Israel and he went to Haran. Okay. So Haran is also, actually I think he's also in Israel. Or is more like... East. Isn't it whoever, when he worked there, there's an uncle. Yeah, I think Haran is, in the, is, is like, will be like Jordan today, I think. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it is because the actually, the reason why are we are called Ivrim or Hebrews is because Hebrew comes from the word Ever Hanar. Ever Hanar with a Ain means the other side of the river. Oh, so, so I th- that's why I think that What's that's that Abraham's family like from near Iraq though. Yeah, Aram Naraim. Aram Naraim is and stuff. correct. Yeah. So that is that is um, in between those two rivers. So that would be more Iraq nowadays. Yeah. The fertile crescent. Um, anyways, Jacob was now making his way back to the land of Israel. And his brother Esau came to take revenge on him. So, uh, of course, it's not only a story about individuals. It's a story about energies also. You know, and specifically energies, how they, they're in a very um, um, beginner state. Not, not beginner, in a very... Um, premature state eventually this developed these energies developed into nations and and ideas and, and societies um but at, at that stage Esau had an angel who went over to to you know to start that attack and jacob nevertheless he fought with esau through the whole night until dawn so the torah specifically says that he fought until dawn and after dawn said that the, the angel had to leave. Where the angel had to go? So the angel had to go back up to the heaven to continue praises. Um, before the angel left, Jacob took, Jacob, um, um, not only he, will, he was able to fight the angel, but he took the, that challenge and he transformed it into something positive. He didn't let him go until he blessed him. So he said, no, you're not, not only that you were not not only that, you know, you didn't defeat me, but I'm going to use this, all this energy that has been invested here and something positive has to come out about it. So the as angel asked him, so what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. So at the beginning of the story, at the, when Jacob was born, he was a twin with Esau. Not only they were brothers, they were twin brothers. And when Esau, and, and Esau was older, Esau was born first, but Jacob had was grabbing Esau's um, heel as they, were, <clears throat> as they were being born. So that's why they named him Jacob, because Ekev, Ekev means heel, and Yaakov means the one who grabbed from the heel. That's the name Jacob Yaakov. Now, the name Jacob or Yaakov, it's not a prestigious name. It means, you know, the one who was like grabbing on someone else. He's, he's not something for himself. He's like the one who was trying to, the wannabe, kind of like. Um, so that's why the angel said, you're not going to be, your name is not going to be anymore Jacob. It's going to be Israel. So what is Israel? Israel, it, it could be divided the words of 
Sar, Kel. Sar is a minister and Kel is the name of God. So it's not someone who, it's not a wannabe anymore. The real deal. Sar, Kel, Israel. And that was basically what gave the, the, the acknowledgement on the blessings. The blessings that, that Jacob took from his brother was always being fought on their energies, on the energy level, on the spiritual level, was always being fought, always being argumented until the, the angel said, okay, you're right. You're, you're not anymore Jacob, someone who, won, who, someone who needs to steal blessings, someone who wants to be something else who's grabbing from the ankle, but rather you're the real deal, and that then is when the blessing happened. But the point is that he was wrestling with the angel until dawn. And the Torah specifically says until dawn because that's what was in Jacob's mindset. You know, you have the ability that you believe in yourself. And, and you see at the end of the day, the, the light, at the end of the, the night, you see how dawn will happen. And that is having a, someone call it, I think it's called a tunnel, tunnel vision, that you're able to... Light at the end of the tunnel. Right, but even now, even now when you're in the struggle, that doesn't mean that it's light here. The light is all the way there. But to behave now in the way than, or not to behave, but, but to have that belief and that, that security in yourself as when it would be light, that is the message that Jacob wants to give. Not only, not only wants to relay to the whole, to the whole Jewish nation for all times. So in other words, Jacob believed in himself when he went down to Haran, and he believed in himself even after, and the challenge also became something positive. So as we asked before, what, why should we even have, why should we even have, no, sorry, okay, so what is, so we know already that we saw from Jacob that in order to have, uh, in order to achieve success, in order to achieve our goals, we need to have the right mindset. So why is it that we don't have the right mindset? Or what's, what's stopping us? What is... Well, it, I think sometimes, like, in terms of what might cause people to believe they're incapable of, achieve, of achieving their goals, I feel like it's, it's usually a buildup of things. Either they've had a lot of failure, or they've had a lot of bad pressures from outside, people telling them they can't do it, or no, one who's, no one's ever made them feel like they could do it. Uh, it's not just one thing. I feel like it kind of snowballs where people don't have that confidence. Okay. So in other words, they're, they're like, not labeled, but like limited or defined. Yeah, and then they believe it. And they're not believing it. Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. We're going to see in text number four that it's interesting thing is that it, it, it this this the way that you look at yourself has not only it's not only that has it at a personal level but has to do as well on, on societal levels and specifically when it comes to the Jewish nation as we're going to see has a lot of implications of how you look at yourself okay text number four Ben the spies displayed the fruit of the land before the Jews and they said to Moses we went to the land to which you sent us, and indeed it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the inhabitants of the land are mighty, the cities are extremely great and fortified, and we also saw their des descendants of giants. The Amalekites dwell in the south land, while the Hittites 
the Jebusites and the Amorites uh, dwell in the mountainous region. The Canaanites dwell on the coast and alongside the Jordan. Caleb silenced the people to hear the words he would speak in support of Moses. And he proclaimed, We will surely go up and take possession of the land. We can surely conquer it. But the men who went up and scattered the land alongside him disagreed. We are unable to go up against the Canaanite nation, for they are stronger than we are. They proceeded to present a disparaging report about the land which they had scattered, telling the children of Israel, The land that we passed through and explored devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw there were extraordinarily large. There we saw giants of immense heights, and our eyes we seemed like grasshoppers, and so they considered us too. So this is, uh, this is talking about the time when the Jews were approaching after the 40 years in the desert, after, no, this is like before, before the 40 years in the desert, um, after having, receiving the Torah, and they were approaching the land of Israel, so they sent scouts, sent 12 scouts, one for each tribe on the way back, so they were divided regarding their report. So 10 of them said, the land is super powerful and we're not going to be able to conquer it. There were two spies, or two scouts who, were, who disagreed and said that, no, that we are able to do so. The, the line that I want you to focus is the last two or three lines. And let me know if you see something over there that you might have an insight. Zach? Uh, it says, in our eyes. Right. So in our eyes, we seemed like grasshoppers. That was, that, was, that was the reason why the Jews ended up staying 40 years in the desert. Mm. The scouts went out, and they didn't believe in themselves. Or, or the self-image that they had was, in our eyes, we seemed like grasshoppers. Like, compared to those giants... They're like grasshoppers. And the Torah says, and so they, consider, uh, and so they continued, and so they considered us too. But who, who, who defined the, the, who defined first? Who gave the definition first? We did. We and did. Because we felt that way. It's like they could smell our fear. They could smell our fear. Yeah. And specifically when it comes to the land of Israel, we're not talking like them. This is relevant today. In the, uh, when, when the Jewish people started giving out lands, Right away, they smelled us. Soon as, as, as the Jewish people, the Israeli government, started giving out land as peace treaties, we, we messed it up. The Rebbe really spoke strong. He, he referred to this. He referred to, you're, you're going to show yourself as weak. They're going to see you weak. It, 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 it's, a, it's a no negotiate. You don't negotiate. People, this is, wars, this is how wars work. Someone starts a war, they get conquered, There's they keep the land. Yeah. You know, you don't give away land. As soon as you give away, and the rebel like spoke, really campaigned. They didn't listen. That Sinai didn't work. I mean, for a few years until Mubarak, Mubarak was his name. Mubarak was thrown out and was Mubarak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're thinking of like, that's the like Arab Spring that was named Mubarak. Okay, but so the treaty, the peace treaty was with Mubarak. Oh. It was with Mubarak's government. After his government was thrown away, that treaty has no, has no value anymore. 
So it kept for a few years, but again, after a few years, we saw that it really has no value uh, uh, signed agreement. And then we gave Gush Katif and uh, just failure after failure. And that all started because the way we saw ourselves. What is Gush Katif? Gaza? Gaza, yeah. okay. Yeah, the whole, that whole strip. Oof. We gave it away. It's, it's very painful till today. But this is, it, this is sometimes we see the power. It's not, it's talking about the land of Israel. It's talking about the same way how you see yourself, not only as they were talking about themselves, not only about their personal way, they were talking about as a nation. And we still didn't get the lesson. As a nation, we still didn't get the lesson. We look at ourselves as the grasshoppers. We should look at ourselves as the people who are enti- we're entitled. Not entitled because we want a war. We're entitled by Hashem. We're entitled by the Torah. This is our homeland. Period. And if, if, if you want to challenge that and you lose, so, you know, it's up to you. And... In our eyes, the way you define yourself, that doesn't only affect at a personal level, but affects a societal level, and it affects it affects a, 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 a big, le- big scale as well. Um, so although we should take it in a personal way, we should know that it, it's something that goes beyond ourselves. Text number five. This is a text from Rabbi Tversky. Rabbi Tversky passed away about over a year ago. He was a remarkable human being, he was a rabbi, he was a Hasidic rabbi, he was a psychologist, he, 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 he was the one who really introduced the recovery into the Jewish community. Recovery in the Jewish community, I mean like the, the, the religious or the observant community was pretty much taboo, no one really spoke about it, and he was the one who was open about it, he was the one who, um, um, who, who was really open about it and, and introduced this whole concept and basically shed light and helped thousands of people. So he wrote also hundreds of books. So text number five. Um, yeah, Ben, you want to read? Is it me? Yeah, okay. Um, as I studied the negative self-image problem, I found that the most profound feelings of low self-esteem paradoxically occur most often in those who are in reality most gifted and competent. It appears that the person who develops negative self-image sees himself as if he were looking through a trick lens which distorts the perception in such a manner that the person sees himself as the opposite of what he actually is. Yeah, so it so happens to me that those who are the most capable, because of the self-image that they have, they have like the total opposite of their capabilities. So it, it, it might be so distorted to have a wrong self-image that not only that prevents you from, from, from future gains, but even the, from the present, for abilities that you have the currently that you have, you don't use. Okay, let's see what the Torah says, what the Talmud says. Text number six. Me? Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rabbi Huna said, when a person transgresses and repeats it a second time, it becomes, a per- it becomes permitted for him. The Talmud asks, can one really think that a repeat offender is permitted to transgress? Rather, Rabbi Huna is saying that the deed becomes permissible in the eyes of the offender. So this is what you said before. What you said regarding that, you know, people, a failure or other people saying it or, 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 or previous um, experiences that they had. This is what Rabbi Huna was saying in the Talmud, that once a person does it, and it goes through that experience is as if it becomes um, permissible. As is that is part of who he is. He's been defined by it already. You know, 
if, if let's say he, he's challenging with stealing and he steals one time, so there is this this uh, distorted notion that he he becomes defined by what he did with who he is. And then what he did just aligns with who he is, so that's why it becomes permissible. Although it's incorrect. Although what he does should never um, affect who he is, and it should never be something that is permissible in his eyes, but nevertheless, that for some reason is um, what, human, what, what human beings struggle with. Okay, so question for discussion. Why is it more difficult to make the correct choice in an area in which one has repeatedly failed in the past? Well, I kind of did answer, but... In other words, the way we see ourselves. It's kind of a slippery slope. It's like, but, but not, the, um, not the fallacy of the slippery slope. It's like, I'm not going to do that. Oh, maybe I'll just do it this one time. And then it's, you've done it once. It's like, oh, I could do it again. It's not the right. end of the world. It wasn't the end of the world the last time I did it. It just gets easier to, to do the wrong thing because you've already done it. And so in other words, before, to do something wrong on yourself was not a line. It was like, that's, that's not who I am. Right. But then after it, does it after it happens a few times, so... You start justifying it in your mind, why it's okay, you find it's not that excuses, bad. Right. And, and, and suddenly you, you identify with it. Yeah, I could be doing that. You don't see something that is totally strange. And, and that starts, of course, it starts one time, but unless we, we, we cut ourselves in the reality that the action doesn't align with who we are, we could still believe or have, have this distorted image of ourselves. Okay, page 45. Um, let's read text number seven. We're gonna go a little bit, we're, gonna, we're going to um, a little bit faster, hopefully we get to the end. Um, I wanna finish on time, but we also wanna read about Rabbi Akiva. So tonight we're gonna be celebrating Lagba Omer. Like Bomer is a big celebration. Um, it, 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 in, the pa- in the recent years, it became really, really popular. Recent, I mean like 100 years, it became really, really popular. The pilgrimage to the, to the Kever, to the resting place of Rashbi, um, it's, uh, it's been, nowadays is a whole operation. Sadly, we had the tragic of last year. I was watching, before, before we came, I was watching the live and, and and you could totally see the difference uh, about the stampede. The, yeah. the the stands collapsed too. Well, that's what then led to it. Yeah, right. that's what led to that's what led to people leaving. Right. I don't know that collapsed. No, that's something. Yeah, they, collapse happened. Also, it's crazy. Collapse happened right before on Shavuos, like in three uh, weeks uh, in, in Ashur, in Yerushalayim. It was it was like so 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 that I remember like a whole month was like so and then the Surfside building and the Surfside it was like so many that. things like you know like didn't make any sense so weird but the thing is that it, at Miron was not was just a stampede it was people like trying to run out and, and one fell on top of the other so disturbing um, I so I saw the video now people dancing and you see that there is space to dance they're 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 you know um, controlling the area. Um, th- wasn't a part of it that the the capa- it was just there were way too many people for the capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's what it was. Nather can 
controlling it better. They so turned now they're, away yeah. a lot of buses. Huh? Said they what? They turned away a lot of buses. Yeah, yeah, makes. I mean, it was about time. You have to, yeah. <laughs> and sadly, that that was the last straw. But, but like I remember being there, I was like, you're just being like, you don't even have to walk. It's just like enter and you pushed There's around so much just, pressure against you that yeah and you, you like follow the follow the current i guess yeah and and that's how you got you go inside to the caver and then you go out um was a group was was an awesome experience um but but to, tonight we celebrate lagbomer according to kabbalah um, what happened in lagbomer that was so so that's such a big celebration so is the day that rashbi passed away who was rashbi rashbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he was the one who introduced the Kabbalah into a more formal way. Meaning, Kabbalah was a way of teaching the secrets of the Torah, but way on a you know really select group of people from generation to generation. The Rashbi was the first one who compiled all those teachings into the book called Zohar. So the famous Zohar was written by Rashbi. I don't know if it was written by Rashbi or the teachings are Rashbi's, but um, he was the, he, all, all of the teachings are all of yeah, he wrote the Zohar. All of the teachings were written on the Zohar, and that was the first introduction on a piece on, on a, a paper of the teachings of of the Torah of the hidden teachings of the Torah. So you have the revealed parts of the Torah, and there you have the hidden parts of the Torah. The revealed part of the Torah would be the legalistic side of the Torah, things you are able to do and not able to do. And then you have the, the, the hidden part of the Torah, the reasoning and the meaning. And that's what ultimately Hasidus philosophy, Hasidic philosophy, is all about. Hasidic philosophy is applying the teachings of the Zohar in a way that is understandable, and you're able to process it. Zohar is very lofty. If you open a Zohar, you might not be able to understand anything. If you're able to translate, that's why a lot of people were banned from learning the Zohar. Because if you don't have the right tools to read it, you're going to get you to the wrong conclusions. Yeah, but even the foundation, you know, really translating it, translating words, not necessarily gets you to the idea. Actually, that was a big, uh, was a big controversy when Maimonides... A lot of his work, he wrote, he wrote it in Arabic. Right. So suddenly you have it's all... An, Arabic. Right? Arabic. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 Arabic. So you have a lot of his work. It's written in Arabic. And now they wanted to translate it into Hebrew. So what a lot of editions did is they took word by word of the Arabic. And, you know, how do you translate? I don't know. How? So... Ech. Okay, great. So they translated word by word, and then they compiled the book. It's like a, like the really, really early versions of Google Translate. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah? yeah? It was horrible. It was like, really? yeah, it was like word by word and ma- made no sense. Right. right? Made no sense. You read it and, yeah. So that was kind of like what happened with this first edition of, the, of Maimonides. They translated word by word, and they had, it made no, made no meaning. So... That was not the proper way. The proper way to translate something is someone who knows Arabic, someone who's able to understand the ideas. And in other words, once you're passed through the words and you're able to understand what the words are saying, so then you're able to take those ideas and write it down in the Hebrew word, in the Hebrew letters. 
and that's how you properly translate specifically a work of Torah, but that's how any translation should be happening, not just word by word. So same applies to Kabbalah. Kabbalah, you could be translating it word by word, but it makes no sense. Um, in order for it to make sense, you need to understand the ideas that the Zohar is trying to say. Then in order to understand those ideas, that's why you need Hasidic philosophy. Because Hasidic philosophy, ultimately what it does, and specifically Chabad, what Chabad stands for is Chokhmah, Bina, and Dat, which means knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, stands for Chokhmah, Bina, and Dat, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Um, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of what? And the knowledge and understanding is the, 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 the Kabbalah or the, the Zohar and the hidden part of the Torah takes it down and, and, and is able or makes it available for people like us to understand the ideas that the Zohar is trying to say. So that's why the whole, they, 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 they celebrate Rashbi because it's, it, although he requested that it should be a celebration when he passed away, he said, on this day should not be like a morning day, should be a day where people are happy. But, but moreover is, is what he contributed to the world. He contributed the ability and all of these ideas that it's what ultimately refines society for a better world. That's why we have a, we have a bonfire, because the light that he shared with the world, or the, the wisdom that he gave over to the world, is not only like a candle, but rather like a bonfire, it's like a big fire, a lot of light. And it's so apropos to being learning, to learning uh, Zohar, to learn uh, Hasidic philosophy. Basically, this a lot of, of, of a lot of the paragraphs that we learned here is about Hasidic philosophy, and this is basically a, after generations and after elaboration of the ideas, we're able to sit down and learn. That's one. That's one event that happened in Lagba Omer. As well, another event that happened like Baomer happened with Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva was Rashbi's teacher, master. And he, at one point, he started off as a shepherd for the first 40 years of his life. He had no academic um, knowledge or, or, uh, or abilities. But he eventually, you know, fell in love with the daughter of the owner of the flock, of the owner of the estate. And she believed in it. She believed in Rabbi Kiva and told Rabbi Kiva, you should go, you should learn, you should pursue, you become a, you should become a, uh, you, should, you should pursue, pursue st- uh, Torah learning. And, and Rabbi Kiva had someone who believed or was able to see, pass through all this drama and all of this rejection that he had in his life and was able to see through Rabbi Kiva and his real potential, and that's what eventually made, um, made him a great sage, a leader. And till today, the Torah that we have, there was a, uh, during his part in history, the Romans basically killed most of the sages besides, besides the students of Rabbi Kiva. So the students of Rabbi Kiva were able to escape the Romans there's the story of Shimon Bayerchai was in a cave. He was in a cave, yeah. correct. He was in a cave because he was escaping the Romans. But as well, so Rabbi Kiva was murdered by the Romans. Um, his students were able to escape, and eventually the Torah knowledge came through him and his students for the next generation. So he played a major part in Jewish 
in, in, in Jewish nation. And if you look at his resume, or at least when he was 40 years old, um, you, you wouldn't even thought or dream that he would be able to. But someone did dream about it. Okay, so 7a. Um, oh, so that's why it's a purport to learn today in, in the Leah of Black Baomer to learn about Rabbi Kiva as well. Oh, I didn't, I didn't explain what happened with Rabbi Kiva. So Rabbi Kiva had 24,000 students. Eventually, he became a master, he learned, he had 24,000 students. And a, a tragedy happened and most of the students passed away besides this five students. One of the students was passed away or murdered. Passed away at a plague. There was a plague and they passed away. A lot of people were making references. And, and like Baomer, the plague ceased, finished. So people stopped dying like Baomer, and that's why it's a day of celebration as well. Remember the first 2019, a lot of people were making references. As, oh, you know, COVID is going to finish in like Baomer because celebration. Anyways, that apparently didn't work out. But, um, okay, uh, 7A, who was, who was reading? I was. Okay, so, no, no, I'll, uh, so Zach, read 7A and 7B as well. Rabbi Akiva was originally a shepherd in the employ of Ben Pavla Sabua, the, le- the latter's daughter, Rachel, seeing how modest and noble he was, said to him, if I were to be betrothed to you, would you leave home to study at a Torah academy? Yes, he replied. They secretly married. When Rachel's father heard of the marriage, he banished her from his house, from his home, and disowned her. Okay, continue text B and text C. What were Rabbi Akiva's origins? Tradition states that he was 40 years old and had not learned at all. Once he was standing by a well, he noticed a hollowed out stone. Who hollowed out the stone, he asked. The waters, the reply came, that steadily drip on it each day. When Rabbi Akiva expressed surprise at this, they asked him, have you not read the verse, stones are eroded by waters? At once, Rabbi Akiva applied the logic to himself. If pliable waters can erode that which is rock hard, how much more so can words of Torah, which are tough as iron, mold my heart, which is flesh and blood? Rabbi Akiva immediately turned to study Torah. Okay, you take C. When Rabbi Akiva returned home, after 24 years at the yeshiva, he was accompanied by 24,000 disciples. Rachel heard of his arrival and went out to meet him. On approaching him, she fell on her face and kissed his feet. His attendants, who did not recognize her, were about to thrust her aside when Rabbi Akiva cried to them, Leave her be. My Torah and yours are hers. So all of this that we have told today was by someone who believes in Rabbi Akiva and who eventually made Rabbi Akiva believe in himself as well. His wife. That's why, you know, if you have a... There's, there's a... There's a... When you start learning Hasidic philosophy, a lot of things make sense. There is a verse, there is a quote in the Talmud that says, Ezohi ishak shera, ha Anyone know what that means? Ezohu ishak shera, which or who is a righteous woman? Ha the one who does the will of her husband, of the husband. So, nowadays, that line won't fly. No. <laughs> no. Like, no, like, it's yeah. unacceptable. Cancelled. But that would be cancelled if we just, again, took it, you know, at face value and translated it and not really learn it. 
there is a deeper way how to learn it, and that makes sense today way more more than I mean, makes sense uh, timeless, and that is like this: which one is a righteous woman? Haosa could be the one who does, but as well could mean the one who creates. The will of the husband. In other words, you see sometimes you know someone who's like, he has this personality and suddenly he gets married and he's like a transformed person. <laughs> suddenly his will is different. Suddenly he has different priorities in his life. What happened? Well, you could attest that he has a wonderful wife. The wife doesn't mean that she's sub is submissive to the will of the husband. She's the one who creates the will in the husband. Ha'osa. Not that she does, but she creates a will, a new will in the husband. So that is a testament of a truly righteous woman. Someone who's able to really not only believe in the husband, but make the husband and transform the husband. So that is applicable to today. And that is... Um, um, Ashrei, uh, righteous, not righteous, but lucky the ones who married women like that. Mm. Yeah. Is there, I don't know how much time we have, but two quick questions. One, did Rabbi Akiva ever have children? I don't think so. Okay, so then I'll get to that in a second. Two, he's this great learned scholar with, uh, with 24,000 students. Okay, but in order for that to happen, she had to d disobey her father. That's a violation of one of the Ten Commandments, honor thy father and mother, right? So sometimes it seems like that's okay to be fruitful and multiply, have Jewish babies. They didn't follow that because he was off studying. So it's like, when do you... I, I'm sure that I'm not the first person who's thought of this, and I'm sure there's commentary on when it's okay because this is the greater mitzvah versus this mitzvah. But immediately I thought, hmm, disobeying your father... That seems to be frowned upon. It's a great question. Um, and I guess in metaphorically, there are, he has 24,000 children, I guess, but... It's, it's, I don't know the answer about the children. Um, maybe it was just not blessed with children. Maybe he had children. Um, for some reason, I think if he, he didn't have 40 children. without children, and he was gone for 24 years... No, no, yeah. It's correct. possible at 64, maybe he could have, but... She wouldn't have been able to. She would not have been able to. Right. Exactly. So regarding this... How old was she when I got married? Well, unless she was... Three? Like <laughs> yeah, unless she was a toddler. I mean, she 24 20, years. She's 46. You can have children in your 40s. Yeah. Even difficult. now, that's like, difficult, let alone back then. Sure. The age, the average age of Rachel death was, was probably 40. So I don't know, man. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. In 2000, a couple thousand years, genetics changed. So I'm not sure about the kids. Okay. But regarding the first question, which is a great one, that's exactly what the Torah Sarah. says. Um, it says basically in the same verse, says, um, respect your parents and keep Shabbos. So the sages ask, like, why in one verse right. you have to like, put both those two mitzvahs? So the, the, what the Torah is saying is that... Not correct. That you, you should always, you, you should always be or, or or respecting your parents should never come at cost of keeping Shabbos. Okay. You know, if your parents say don't keep Shabbos, you know X Y Z. So okay, the respect finished there, and you have to you have to keep Shabbos. So maybe when it comes to learning, have the same. You know, she she sent them away, 
or, or she got married with him, maybe marriage has more to do with, I, I'm not sure. Those are great questions. Um, you should take okay. this book away, uh, take this book with you, but I'm just gonna um, jump into the conclusion of, or the difference, or the nuance that, that, that this course has um, more than all the psychology out there nowadays. Because a lot of these messages you might say, oh, I, I heard this somewhere else, Oh, I, I, I could find this message as well on the internet. And two things. Number one, yes, you might find that message on the internet, but you should know where the source is. Sources in the Torah. Which came first. Which came first. But number two is um, in text number eight. We see by Elokim et Adam Salmo Elokim Basically that God created the man in in his image. And in text number nine, we're going to see that the human being was created in God's image and thereby similar to God. May he be blessed. The human being created in the image of God has the distinctive characteristic of being autonomous, like God, who is free to do as he wishes. So too, we human beings have the power to do as we wish. We have choice. The, the point is that we're not just telling ourselves that we are able to do it. We just learned about self-perception, how you need to look at yourself, and you know the way you believe in yourself. But this doesn't start from, from you believing in yourself. It starts from the reality of who we are as human beings. As human beings, we are in the image of God. There is, there's at the core where it starts. Having the image of God, your potential, your, your potential is infinite in the sense that you have you know, freedom of choice and you have the ability so then we have to remove all, that's, all the friction in between recognizing who we are and acting or pursuing the, the, the passions that we have. So when we say that you, have, you need to have a, 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 a proper self-image, it's, it's not just the talk that you give to yourself. It's basically removing whatever friction, that, as you mentioned, you know, things from the past, trauma. Try to remove that and really, really tap and connect and identify with truly who we are. We're people, we're human beings created in the image of God. And in that area, we have the power. So it's an objective idea, it's an objective um, um, reality that we're trying to tap in. It's not something that we're trying to talk, to talk our way out of. And this is ultimately, um, then text number 10 is, is Sam Harris basically saying that there's not such a thing as free will and then text number 11 is how the Torah says that there is free will. And text number 12 is Maimonides himself. He asks the same question that Sam Harris poses, but Maimonides gives the answer. So, and even in text 13, we see from neuroplasticity how this backs what the Rambam says. But anyways, point is that in lesson number two, what we learn is the way how we see ourselves. We are, we are, created in the image of God. Specifically, we are Jewish people. We have a neshama. We have a Jewish soul. And as many, as a lot of things in life, if we're able to tap and connect to that, so then we're able to understand and, and, and overcome a lot of challenges. That might be relationships. That might be marriage. That might be dealing with kids. That might be dealing with your children, dealing with your parents. A lot of times is that we don't have that um, 
we don't acknowledge or tap into the identity of who we are. So that's why all the trauma, that all the baggage that we picked up in our life plays a role in our decision-making. And that's why, you know, ultimately we have to, the whole purpose of mitzvahs, the whole purpose of Hashem giving us mitzvahs and giving us Torah is not only, uh, uh, the purpose for us is that we have the ability to each time when we pray each morning, we connect to who we are. So we don't get distracted and we don't get um, carried away but whatever duties we have throughout the day, we're always able to recognize who we are, why we're here for, and, and what's our mission. So the idea of success is being yourself. That's it. Achaim. Achaim. Pleasure. Ta-da. Ta-da.